Welcome to Now Appalachia. The Appalachian region covers 13 states in the U.S. and over 25 million people call the region home. This podcast profiles the authors and publishers with connections to Appalachia and how the region influences and impacts their creative work. And now, here's your host, author and Appalachian resident, Elliot Parker. And hello, friends. We welcome you back once again to another episode of Now Appalachia. We are broadcast and distributed by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and it's great to have you with us for another program on the show. I'm your host, Elliot Parker, and it's great to have you with us. I'm delighted to have a repeat author back with us on the program today as our guest to talk about his brand new book. It is called Without Warning. This nonfiction book focuses on the tornado of Udall, Kansas. Our guest is Jim Minnick. He was with us uh, a number of years ago when we first started the podcast, and we had him on to talk about his terrific novel called Fire Is Your Water. He's back today to talk to us about this brand new book called Without Warning, The Tornado of Udall, Kansas, which has been published by the University of Nebraska Press. And Jim Minnick joins us. He is the author or editor of seven books, including that award-winning Fire Is Your Water novel, as well as the book The Blueberry Years, A Memoir of Farm and Family. His work has appeared in numerous publications, including The New York Times, Poets and Writers, Oxford American, Orion, and Shenandoah. And he currently serves as the co-editor of the literary journal Pine Mountain Sand and Gravel. So it is my pleasure to welcome Jim Minnick back to the program. We haven't talked to you for a while, Jim, but glad to have you back on and, and, and congratulations on your new book. Thank you. And it's great to be back, Elliot. Good to see you. Good to, good, good to see you. Good to be with you as well. And I wanted to ask you first uh, about this because I, I'd read some other interviews you'd given uh, about this book and and you had been interested in this story about this tornado in Udall, Kansas for, for quite some time. But my question, my first question is, what, what got you interested in this? Where did you first hear about this? And what made you kind of think, you know, th this would be something that uh, you would want to pursue as a writer in terms of telling the story? So I was, I just finished the novel. Uh, one of the first full drafts of the novel, Fires Your Water, as, as you know, uh, about that book. And then um, I was looking for another project. And um, one of my favorite writers is Fred Chapel, And he um, has written four books of poetry and four books of fiction, one with each element. And so um, I'd just done fire. So I was looking at some of the other elements. I, th I thought that was pretty neat. I might want to do that. So um, my sister-in-law <clears throat> grew up in this little town in Kansas and um, <clears throat> heard me talking about these elements and ideas and, that I was looking and she said, well, my little town, hometown got wiped out by a tornado, some kind of wind for you. And I said, you are right. And so uh, that's what got us started. And that, um, that conversation probably happened in 2010. And um, I went out, the first summer I started doing interviews in Kansas with survivors was 2011. So yeah, it was a long time coming. Yeah, absolutely. And just to kind of paraphrase or summarize the book for the audience, uh, this tornado in Udall, Kansas occurred at 1035 PM back on May 25th, 1955. Uh, it sort of tore through the town, destroyed most of the town's buildings, toppled the water tower, killed 82 people, um, and your book very much examines sort of how it happened, what happened, when it happened, and kind of the aftermath of that. But 
I also know that uh, in a couple of interviews you've given, you, you made this comment, and I was going to read it to the audience or share it with the audience and have you kind of elaborate or provide some context to it. And you said about this book, you said the Udall tornado is not really my story. What did you mean by that? So I've never lived east of the Appalachians, really east of the Mississippi, or west, yeah, west of the Appalachians, west of the Mississippi. I've never lived in Kansas. I've never been in a tornado. Um, and uh, so, and I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't even alive in 1955. So, um, you know, for me to connect to this story personally was, you know, those, those connections weren't real strong. Um, but it, the more I talked to people, the more I realized how powerful of a story it was. And um, so for me to write the book, it had to become my story. You know, I had to uh, imagine my way back into all of these people's, the survivors, well, the, some of the dead people as well, um, imagine their, my way back into their lives and um, use their stories, expand on their stories to create uh, a story of the whole community and, and, um, and the survival of this whole community. So, yeah, it, it was a, a challenge and, and and I kind of a part another part of that um question or issue is is I, I originally you know I just finished this novel so I was really thinking I'd be looking for another fiction another novel project and that's what I went into these interviews with thinking and and then um as soon as I started hearing the interviews and just the the generosity of these people sharing their stories and the trust they were giving me um, I realized I couldn't make this into a novel. It would be a disservice to the story and to these people. So um, pretty pretty early on, I realized I had to make it a nonfiction. Um, and that to, to respect and honor all those things, but that made it a lot, lot more difficult. Um, so if it had been fiction, it would have been, I wouldn't have had to double check everything. And um, yeah, it was, it was a lot harder. Yeah. But I'm glad, I'm glad that, happen so excellent very good so just to kind of set the scene for us explain to our audience and explain to us kind of where Udall Kansas is take us back to that that year 1955 uh what was the town like you know prior to this tornado that just devastated their community um you know where is it what were the what what's the community like what were the people like um and then in your opinion, were they ever the same or will they ever be the same uh, after that tornado? Because, you know, if you think about lineage, you know, they're just a generation, almost two now removed from that tornado. But as you noted and, and wrote about in your book, there's still some survivors that live there. So what, what was what was Udall kind of like before the tornado? And, and do you think they'll ever be the same uh, after this event, even though it's been, you know, uh, you know, a number of decades since? So Udall is roughly 23, 25 miles south of Wichita. Um, so it's <clears throat> in many ways uh, that people live in Udall and draw that distance. Which has some pretty big factories, Coleman um, and Air <clears throat> Boeing and, and other uh, industries. Uh, the population then and pretty much now is around 600 people. It might be a little bigger now. Um, uh, there's also 
a lot of agriculture uh, in the area. So a lot of uh, that kind of industry is, is part of the town. Um, at the time, 1955, it had a, it had a downtown. Um, it still does, but it's, it's much emptier. Um, but it had, I don't know how many stores, uh, maybe six or seven or eight stores of different kinds, grocery as well as, uh, you know, kind of, I think it was a clothing store and five and dime kind of store. Um, it, it has had and still has its own bank, um, post office, obviously, um, community center, community building is called, uh, railroad goes through it. That was, uh, and, and still is a big part of it. It has a granary. So that, that's kind of the industry. Uh, oh, and it has its own high school and elementary school. Um, and it's still, it, it did then and it still does now. The, the tornado wiped out all those businesses and the schools and the churches. It had, had three churches. It still might have at least two, probably three or four churches. Um, so, you know, small town, uh, everybody knows everybody or is related to everybody. Um, and here comes this tornado and kills uh 10% of the population, basically, and injures um, to, I think, 270 people, roughly. So, you know, over half the population was either killed or injured. And, um, yeah, so, so did I answer all your questions? Yes, yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly did. Yeah, oh, one, one other thing, one other part, there is um, – I don't know that they're there now. There might be one, but there was three. Um, they were they called they, at the time. They're called care homes, uh, were like a, a private nursing homes. And so there were several elderly uh, people that lived in these private homes. There were three of them in town. Um, so the the tornado came at ten thirty five p.m. So every there and there was no warning. Um, so everybody, most everybody, had gone to bed. Um, and if they hadn't gone to bed, they were had turned the TV off and the radios off. Um, and so like a forget if it's a third or fourth of the dead were the elderly because they couldn't, you know, they were in their houses and they couldn't even get out. And then the other third or fourth was um, children, people under 18, I think. So, um, you know, it is just complete surprise and complete devastation. And I love how the the first part of the book you don't shy away from the the people that are injured. I mean, you vividly describe you know the, there was a there was a wound in in, in one man's neck, uh, and he was bleeding severely uh, when he was found. There there was another story about a police officer who was driving through Udall that nearly had his car blown over, and he turned around to go back to Udall to get some help. And uh, I believe Officer Thompson, I think, was his name. And when, by the time he got back to Udall, it was too late. The, the town had already been destroyed. And there was another scene where you describe a, a sort of a, a wedding party where the ceiling tiles start to fall in right when they're in the middle of the uh, of the wedding or the reception. And and so you don't shy away from that. I mean, I, I love that you you remind the readers that, you know, I, and I don't want to say that we sometimes eulogize tornadoes, but you know, we've seen so many, you know, cheesy movies over the years about these you know, tornadoes that, you know, uh, you know, the freak storms and these sci-fi movies and or tornadoes just break out all over the country and there's 
you know, a love story worked in and there's sort of a romantic heroic thing about surviving a tornado, but you give us kind of the early on the raw visceral uh, consequences of when something like this hits any town. And it doesn't matter if it's 1955 or 2015 or whenever it is um, that, that these are real people affected. And I was wondering when you were, when you were looking at that information and, and interviewing people uh, about that, um, it, did that come up a lot? Did when you're talking to the survivors, did did they talk about those things in terms of who was injured and and who was killed and who they knew that was injured? If it was a friend or a family member, or was that something that you that maybe they mentioned sort of in passing, and you had to go back and and fill in the gaps there? Can, can you talk about that in terms of their their willingness to talk about kind of what really happened on the on the devastation destruction front when with the tornado? Most part, the people were were pretty willing to talk about it. Um, and if I asked more questions, it was just for clarity or specifics or um, just to make sure I heard right. There was there were some people that were reluctant or um, downplayed some of the the injuries or the death, but you know, just out of I think courtesy and respect. Um, and 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 I tried, you know, I wanted to honor that. I didn't want to overdo it and i didn't want to press too hard um one of the uh, well I remember, there were so many survivors and survivor stories but one of the most powerful ones for me was um, bobby atkinson i think um kind of one of the main characters in the book and he was 15 at the time and um he heard it, it, the tornado coming just in time and he, this part just amazes me. He lifted the window screen and then jumped out. You know, he didn't jump through the screen. He he, um, he lifted the screen and he was able to crouch down beside the house foundation um, right before the whole house was just completely destroyed. Um, and he, he said the first, and, and I, I think it was the first wall of the tornado, but it could have been, I've, I've talked to some uh, weather experts after the book came out and they said it could have been two tornadoes, but it was probably the first front wall of tornado. Uh, Bobby said it, um, it was so strong. It took all of his clothes off, um, but it didn't really hurt him. And then the, there was a lull and, and I would, I'm guessing that's the eye of the tornado. And he actually looked up and looked around and saw that there was no house where he had just been. And there was uh, he, his, and he shared a bedroom with two younger brothers there's no no younger brothers and he his parents were in the house at the time too and he didn't see them at all either and uh you know he's just horrified <clears throat> and then the second wall came and that's what had all the debris and um he said it felt like uh somebody was shooting a shotgun out of his back at close range and somebody else was hitting him on the head with a ball peen hammer over and over and over um and his injuries were just incredible. Um, broken leg and two broken arms. And uh, his, his right hand was so mangled that it was just mashed. Um, severe concussion. They eventually had to put plates in his head, I think. Um, and um, debris, like, all through his body, like splinters and, and, you know, pebbles and all kinds of debris just embedded in his skin um and then um including a two by two uh that punctured his chest the back chest cavity and um, um 
hit one long and, and it didn't go all the three well, all the way through, but it was, you know, two by two was sticking out of his back and, um, and he survived. In fact, he had to uh, crawl he, after, I forget how many hours, five hours waiting in a car for somebody to come rescue him. He realized nobody was coming. And so he crawled, uh, he had to crawl with bro broken arms. And he crawled a half mile to the edge of town where he caught a ride with, uh, somebody to go to the hospital and took him to the hospital. So, I mean, the injuries were, yeah, incredible. And, um, and I didn't want to overdo it, but I didn't want to underdo it either. So that was a kind of a fine line to walk. Yeah. yeah very good. And I want to ask you about, you know, a lot of the interviews that you did and, and interviewing with the survivors, how do you determine from a writer's perspective, which stories to include and, and how to structure that? You know, if you're interviewing, 15 or 20 people and, and you know you're only going to be able to include so many of those accounts and testimonies in your book how do you determine that as a writer in terms of whose stories you want to tell who who's getting included who's getting left out and then the organization of you know whose story is going to get told first versus second and and all of that how does that happen and and is that uh, a, a difficult process as maybe it sounds when you explain it or th or think about it uh structuring the book that way with all of that um, it was it was difficult in a couple different ways, um, and it was there, there was a couple hurdles that I, I didn't anticipate that I had to deal with along the way. Um, since it happened in 1955, a lot of the the people who survived um, were already dead, and so um, my pool of survivors, you know, was already smaller than probably like what what a more recent uh, tornado or disaster would be. Um, so I was basically talking to whoever uh, was available at the time. And then, yeah, I started to figure out, yeah, that, that person I can follow through the whole better. Um, Bobby definitely, you know, was um, important to, to keep, you know, such, well, I should say Bobby eventually learned um, that, both his brothers died instantly. Uh, his mother died uh, a couple of days after because of injuries from the storm. And then his father lived, but um, he was so mangled. He was unrecognizable when he brought, it was like one of the last ones brought into the hospital. And uh, he lived for another six months. He had had cancer and um, that's what eventually killed him. But um, Bobby was in six months. Um and so, you know, that story I knew I wanted to keep. But one of the things I encountered, or I wanted to develop, I should say, one of the things I encountered um, maybe a third of the way into through the project was like, I realized that all the people that I've been talking to um, were either too young to really be part of the rebuilding or they were, um, they didn't live in town or they were in the hospital, they were injured. Like Bobby was in the hospital for months afterwards and i wanted to tell the story of the rebuilding as well and so um that put me in a little bit of a bind and um i realized the main character i needed to to um develop and, and try to explore and, and uh, make central was the mayor uh, his name was earl Rao, and everybody called him toots his nickname but he had died in the 1980s and so um how do you interview somebody from the dead and you don't um but his daughter his oldest daughter was still alive and lived in town and and she 
um, was a huge help. Um, and, and so I was able to develop the whole family story, um, essentially. And, and, um, there was a lot of newspaper coverage. So, you know, I had, I don't know how many hundreds of hours of interviews, um, that were, you know, the kind of the, the main part of the, the book research, but I also spent a lot of hours, uh, probably hundred, hundred hours in the libraries, uh, looking through old newspapers. And so, uh, the Rao family, since he was the mayor at the time, they were covered in the newspapers a lot. Um, so, um, so for me, you know, that choosing who to, who story to tell uh, involved who was available, um, who had um, maybe the most fascinating, interesting story, and then who was there for the whole timeline of the story. So, um, yeah, it was not easy, but. Um, but it was fascinating to try to figure out as well. We're speaking with author Jim Minnick today on this episode of Now Appalachia. He's the author of the brand new nonfiction book. It's called Without Warning, The Tornado of Udall, Kansas, published by the University of Nebraska Press. And Jim, we'll come back to the to the book in just a second. I, I want to ask you uh, another question about your career, sort of tied into this book, but really all of your works. And that is... Um, You've received a, a number of grants over the years from organizations like the Virginia Commission for the Arts, the Virginia Foundation of the, for the Humanities, um, uh, Augusta University, Georgia Humanities Council, and other places. And and you taught it at, at Augusta University and at Radford University in Virginia for a long time. But how important are are those those grants and, and slash fellowships that you get from those organizations in terms of? helping you do what you do and, and write these kinds of books, these nonfiction books that are, that are very time intensive and laborious in terms of having to go and visit and research and, and, and all of that. And I know you do a lot of that for your fiction novels as well and your other work, your memoirs too. Um, how important are those grants to, to writers? And if we've got a writer listening, would you encourage them to, to seek out these kinds of grants and fellowships uh, in their own communities or in their own states? Certainly. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, they are important. They are uh, great rewards, great support, uh, great recognition. Um, and definitely, you know, if you have the opportunity, like some states, like I know North Carolina is very supportive with their artists in this way, with their writers. Um, definitely um, you know, explore those. A lot of those grants, I should say, that, that I... Um, was awarded were not for me personally as a writer, but for uh, the work I was doing, um, creating literary communities. Uh, so uh, a lot of the grants, so, so you know, kind of in a broader sense, uh, the grants allowed me and universities to host writers, to, to create uh, or, or uh, create conferences that would help teachers incorporate Appalachian studies in their classrooms. Um, that's, that's some of the work I did a lot at Radford. Um, so in, in, in a large, you know, they're, they're definitely important to individual artists, um, but they're also very important for organizations to create uh, literary communities to support those artists. So, so, you know, in the same way, I would get grant money to create a conference. I would then spend that grant money to uh, bring writers to campus. So, you know, it, 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 they are very, very essential, important. And I wish... Uh, Governments funded them more, funded the arts much more. I think uh, we're learning more and more how essential the arts are to um, just our health, 
but yeah so excellent very good yeah we need them oh yeah absolutely and, and wish there were more of them and and wish they were in higher dollar amounts than they are so that uh authors could have yeah. the money to do the work that you're talking about and also as you said for for folks involved on in the educational side um uh, of 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 their careers and their work to help support and promote uh, Appalachian authors better and to bring those Appalachian authors to campus and expose them to not only college students, but, you know, high school, middle school and elementary school students as well. So my next question, if we were to slip into to your study or to wherever it is that you like to read and we were to look at your uh, your pile of books that might be on your desk or your table, uh, what are some books we might see there, either, either in ones that you've just finished or ones that are in your to be read pile? Who well, what are some things you've read recently that you that you liked, and maybe what's in your to be read pile that you're looking forward to getting to? Uh, so I've been on a Willa Cather kick. Um, I so so uh, this summer when I was um, on book tour for this without warning book, um, I was able to. Um, travel all over Kansas and really enjoy the prairie, but I also able to go to Willa Cather country in Nebraska. And um, she's one of my favorite writers and, and it was a great, great fortune to see her little hometown um, as well as a farm. That's the setting for two of my favorite pieces. One is my Antonia. So uh, I've been reading a bunch of, of uh, Willa Cather. So that's, that's one of the um, favorite authors I've been, exploring a lot and then um more contemporary i've been um looking forward to reading david joy's newest book he's a friend who um i've known for several years and and have hosted him to campus as well as um going hikes for them and he's got a new novel coming out in uh, i think the end of this month so um yeah it's one that i'm really looking forward to yeah, very good. And, and yeah. a shameless and a shameless plug for the program. We're going to have David uh, on our program in a future episode to talk about uh, his new book. It's called Those We Thought We Knew. Uh, yeah, I've had a chance to read an arc and boy, it's terrific, just like all his books are. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to having him back on uh, to talk about that. So right now, though, we're talking yeah, with. Right yes, absolutely. And um, right now we're talking with Jim Minnick, who's the author of the brand new book. It is called Without Warning, The Tornado of, of Udall, Kansas. And uh, Jim, we're, we're running low on time, so I wanted to, to skip ahead and ask you a, a question um, related to sort of the, the, maybe the end of the book or kind of a final impression. When, when a reader kind of gets to the last page and, and they, they've, they've read your story about the people and what happened and, and not only the physical and, and emotional injuries that they suffered, but how they went about rebuilding the community. What is uh, a lasting impression you hope they take away from the book or someone who maybe hasn't read a lot of nonfiction and picks this book up and, and, and reads it? What's sort of the, the, the final takeaway or the big takeaway or the, the, the main impression you hope they walk away from the book with? The power of community. Uh, the power of resilience of individuals uh, working, surviving and working to uh, rebuild a, a place they love that, that was destroyed by some kind of natural disaster. I think that's kind of the, the bedrock of the story is, is this community totally wiped out and here they are. They're still here. So you know, 60, almost 70 years later, they're still here. So, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. 
And have you talked to any of the folks that you interviewed who have read the book? And and if so, what have they said about it? How how do they think you handled the story and handled what they said and and all of that? Have you gotten any feedback from them yet? Yes, and that was a huge. Um, uh, I was a little nervous about that. Yeah, so um, here I am using other people's stories. Here's a whole community that gave me their story that uh, hopefully I got right. So uh, May 25th of this past year. Um, the anniversary of the tornado, um, I was, uh, that was my last stop on my Kansas book tour um, there in Utah in the community building that um, had been, you know, part of the tornado story. And, and so I was very honored to be part of that, that um, celebration of the community as well as the book. And um, both that night of the event, but also um, so that the, the book came out, the official release date was May 1st, but the book was really available um, and people were reading it in the community, like uh, even April 1st, I think, but definitely early April. And so they were reading it and they were talking to each other and I was kind of listening from the sidelines and, and I was I was very relieved and, and pleased that the, they all liked it and um, they felt like they told the story and honored them so um, and, and that definitely came through on the, the May 25th event. I was I was very um, happy and relieved and honored that, that the book was well received by, you know, that's kind of the main audience in, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, thanks for asking that. Absolutely. And so my final question, Jim, with you today, as we uh, wrap up our discussion, uh, if anyone wants to get in contact with you to find out, uh, uh, more information about this book or about uh, Fire Is Your Water or other things that you've written or what you've got going on uh, with with your writing and, and book tours and all of that. How can they follow you and stay in contact with you, first of all? And then where can they get copies uh, of your book without warning? So I have a web page. Um, it's my name with a hyphen in the middle. So www.jim-minick.com. Uh, J Minnick, J yeah, Jim Minnick.com. Um, and there's a page on that. You can, um, you can uh, enter your a contact form and uh, I'd be glad to correspond with you through email. Um, I'm on Facebook. I, I, I usually avoid it, but I can also be reached there. Um, but the best way is through the, the contact form through my webpage and on the webpage, you can find out more about the books uh, and there are links to uh, places to buy it. Uh, I try to support ind independent bookstores, but um, so there's some links for that as well as Amazon is another option as well. Um, so, yeah, I think that answers that. The title of the book is Without Warning, The Tornado of Udall, Kansas, a devastating tornado that occurred uh, out in the middle of Udall, Kansas back on May 25th, 1955. Our guest today has been author Jim Minnick. He's not only the author of this book, but the author of the tremendous and fantastic novel that we had him on a few years ago to talk about. It's called Fire Is Your Water. I would encourage you to check that out as well, as well as The Blueberry Years, a memoir of Farm and Family, and a number of other publications. Uh, Jim, congratulations on, on this really great book, and I think uh, there are so many things about, about family, community, people, resilience, so many great themes that 
um, readers will take away from this. And I appreciate uh, not only your time and effort on telling the story, but the, the great way in which you did it. So congratulations on the book and all the best to you. Thank you so much, Elliot. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for your work as well. So take care. We want to take a moment as we finish up on this episode of Now Appalachia to give a special shout out and a thank you to our executive producer. Her name is Pam Stack. She makes all of these podcasts possible uh, each and every episode, not only with Now Appalachia, but with all of the programming that you hear on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We couldn't do it without her. So thanks to all of her efforts behind the scenes to make these podcasts possible. We also want to remind you that this is a copyrighted podcast that is owned and operated by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And that is going to do it for us this time on Now Appalachia, but please come again next time. And in the meantime, stay well and see you someplace soon, I hope. You've been listening to Now Appalachia. This is a copyrighted podcast owned and operated by the authors on the Air Global Radio Network. For questions or comments about this program and to learn more about the host, Elliot Parker, and his books, visit his website at www.elliotparker.com. Stay tuned. More outstanding podcasts are coming your way next from the authors on the Air Global Radio Network.